We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, everyone, we are back with another BuzzBeat episode. Just a reminder, we are a member of the Blue Wire Network, a growing sports podcasting network created by Kevin Jones. Please check out bluewirepods.com, where you can find our show in addition to about 15 other sports podcasts. I'm Richie, one-third of BuzzBeat, and I'll be joined, as always, by Brian Geisinger, contributor to accsports.com and sportschannel8.com, as well as Spencer Percy, who has recently unretired from QueenCityHoops.com and got got an itch to write again. Uh, last week he put out his first edition of the Buzzworthy Bulletin uh, on that site where he ran down about five noteworthy topics that are happening with the Hornets right now. I'm sure uh, we'll either get into those topics or they'll kind of come up naturally, but definitely give that a read over at QueenCityHoops.com. On that note, let's check in with the co-host, First off, Brian, how was your Christmas, and did you get any Hornets-related gifts? So Christmas was good back home in Winston-Salem well, with, with my mom and some other family members. Uh, surprisingly, no Hornets gifts, actually. But I did get, I did treat myself to a, uh, a Denver Nuggets t-shirt that's got, like, the skyline with like, oh, a rainbow yes. in the background. Oh, very nice. When I was shopping for someone else, I, that shirt popped up, and I was like, I, I, I gotta I gotta have this. I don't even, I don't even <laughs> care. When I was a broke college kid, I couldn't afford to make these types of purchases right. to be like, yeah, I'm gonna drop 25 bucks on this, but, but now I feel comfortable doing that. So, threw down on that, and, um, nah, it's been eating too much, yes. and, uh, took a, took a day trip with my mom up to Boone, which was awesome, hadn't been up in Boone in a few years, so, uh, Christmas Eve, went up to the high country, which was cool, and, nah, Christmas was good. How about, how about you and the kid, how'd Beckett, uh, do on Christmas, Richie? Yeah, it was very hectic, and I thought it would throw off his schedule, but it really didn't, like, his night schedule, um, he was up a little bit later than normal, uh, but when we got back home from, uh, his great grandparents and my grandparents and my parents' house, like we went around to like three different houses. Um, he was able to go back to sleep uh, pretty quickly. But yeah, Christmas was good. I don't really, you know, ask for a lot on Christmas. Always it's like just clothes at this point. No Hornets related yeah. gifts. Uh, a Thank lot you. of the gifts were tailored towards towards Beckett. So, uh, Spencer, how about you? How was your uh, Christmas down in, or not? I guess you up in Statesville? Yeah, yep, exactly. Uh, my wife and I went up to Statesville. Uh, it was good. It was it was really good. Uh, my sister actually has a nine month old, mm-hmm. so 
you know, it, similar probably to to what your Christmas was like. But he was sick, so he's running a fever. Oh. So like they were they were kind of like in and out and trying to. Uh, you know, trying to be everywhere and do everything with you know at his first Christmas, but it was uh, it was a little hard with, with a sick kid. But no, all, all is well. I actually got a really uh, cool teal Hornets warm up jacket um, huh. from my wife. Yeah, so it's actually the teal one they wear during the warm ups with uh, the really tight hoodie on top. Um, ple- pleasantly surprised. Uh, wasn't expecting it. It is super nice. I've already worn it for a total of probably. 48 hours since I've had it. Uh, so I got it the, the day before Christmas. So, yeah, it's really cool. Uh, yeah, and other than that, I thought Christmas was good. You, you know, it, there's just a lot going on, trying to pop around and see everybody. Um, but uh, all, all is well in the Percy household. Let's jump right into the games. Uh, we're going to break down the previous two games in which the uh, Hornets split. They won the game over against the Pistons last Friday, and then they lost to the Celtics uh, most recently on Sunday. Uh, So let's start with the win, 98-86 win over the Pistons. Entering the game, the Hornets were a half game back of Detroit, uh, but they had also already beaten Detroit twice uh, prior to this matchup. So um, it's a game that if we did win, which we did, uh, we now own the tiebreaker over Detroit for the season. Uh, Crazy to see that we've played this team already three times. It feels like the Sixers, the the Pistons, we've already played these teams um, a good bit amount. Uh, The Hornets won every quarter. Uh, of this game, but to be honest, this game was close until it, you know a little bit later in the game. Uh, it was a grinded out type of win. Uh, the Hornets' offense stalled at multiple points during this game uh, and actually didn't get their first made field goal of the fourth quarter until about seven minutes in. So, uh, as Hornets fans, like we always say, if it's close in the fourth quarter, you know those those thoughts come back up uh, when it comes to clutch offense. Uh, the Hornets got 22 from Kemba and 24 from Marvin, who hit a career high seven three pointers. But no other Hornets scored more than 12 points. Just a couple thoughts on my end. I thought a, a, a big positive in this game was uh, Kemba doing a better job of finishing around the rim. Uh, on the season, he's only shooting 51% within four feet of the basket, which is really not a good number. Um, and I had to look this up because I made a note of it for both games, uh, the Boston game and the Detroit game. But the last two games within the restricted area, he's shooting 8 of 9, uh, 89%. So that's that's great to see because I feel like this has been the cause of a lot of his frustration Um it's almost like he's looking for those calls, and now he's focusing on just finishing the basketball. So instead of kind of looking for those calls at the rim, Kemba's doing a whole lot better job of actually finishing and not thinking about the refs. So these past two games, he has you know done a great job of shooting the ball, but I also wanted to make a note of that uh, around the rim numbers. Uh, any thoughts on you guys from this Detroit game? Positive thoughts? I have some others, but you know Kemba seems to be doing well these past couple of games. I thought this was like the, the muckiest game of the Hornets mm-hmm. season so far, just in terms of, you know, two teams that kind of want to drag their opponent down into the mud and, and you know, just win in, in a sloppy way, especially when you play Detroit, because, you know, they just want to they want to throw it in um, to Blake Griffin and they just want to attack the offensive glass, you know, with, with somebody like Andre Drummond. Um, and to me, like Detroit, like Reggie Bullock is like the only like until Luke Kennard like proves he can be an NBA shooter, which there's there's not really much sign of that so far. Like Reggie Bullock's the only shooter they really have on this team. Um, mm-hmm. and, and instead of Reggie Jackson's end of shot clock awful shots that somehow managed to go in, it seems like fifty percent of the time. Um, so yeah, I, I really hate de- watching Detroit play. 
And uh, this game was slow. The pace was slow. The offense was bad on both sides. Uh, I think this was a game of of Marvin Williams, right? Like this right. was seven three pointers. I mean, you really got excited about okay, is he turning a corner? Is he seeing a big basket finally? Which just means so much to this team long term and 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 what they can become. <clears throat> and then he goes to Boston and, and misses <laughs> five straight. We'll talk about that later. But I thought he played really well. You know, I thought he was obviously seeing a big basket. He was making shots from all over the floor, you know, not not just the corners, which was uh, definitely um, a good sign for him. Um, you know, Kimba was fine in this game, really helped. You know, I thought the bench was was good. Uh, Parker, Tony Parker struggled, but I, I thought he still played some really important second-half minutes, only one of eight for the floor, but his usage rate, 33.3, which is a team high in this game. Um, and really the only other notable thing I had, and we'll, we can get into some other, some, um, deeper storylines later, but Nick Batum, 9.5 usage rate in 36 mm-hmm. minutes of play, two points, uh, four rebounds. Somehow he had four assists as well. I mean, just, I, I don't know if this is the lowest of his year, but, or of a season, but it, it seems like that 9.5 number's gotta be up there, right? It yeah. was his fourth, it was his fourth lowest of the season in a single game. Um, Batum now has in 32 games this season, four games with sub 10% usage and 16 games with sub 14% usage. So that's half the games this season. He's now averaging under one free throw attempt per game, 0.9. And I looked this up earlier on basketball reference, playing around with some filters. Um, one of eight guys in the NBA with sub-15% usage rate, 800 minutes of action, and less than 40 free-throw attempts on the season. Um, congratulations to the Hornets. He and Marvin Williams are two of those eight players that hit those benchmarks. Obviously, that's fine mm. for Marvin, right? I mean, he's just out there to space and just keep the keep the defense uh, honest and, and uh-huh. shoot threes. But um, with Batum, that's obviously a bit of an issue. Uh, in this game, man, Kemba I thought was pretty awesome. Four of seven on pull-up threes, uh, two of three on three-point attempts where he was tightly defended, so a defender within two to four feet. Uh, for the se- I mean, like I don't think it's a coincidence. We've talked about this. Just Kemba getting to play pick and roll basketball with Cody against big centers like Drummond that are going to drop. So right now, Kemba is 9 of 18 on pull-up three-point attempts first Detroit this season uh, over the course of three games. And Kemba is 9 of 19 on three-point attempts this season with Andre Drummond on the floor. Mm. Uh, eight of those attempts, or pardon me, uh, yeah, with eight of those coming, with eight of those nine makes coming from above the break. Video is not available for all of them, but on at least four of those makes, uh, Andre Drummond was in drop coverage too. So again, I don't think it's a surprise with him giving Kemba room to to dribble up until you're basically just asking a lot out of the guy who's covering Kemba to get around Cody's pick and contest the shot because Drummond's just not going to contest. Like he's just nice, not, not going to be out there. You know, he's going to sink back and try to wall off the paint, and that's what he's doing. And but that gives Kemba uh, you know a runway to to pull into a three. So again, I don't think it is any coincidence there. Um, Hornets in 25 minutes with Kemba and Marvin on the court, uh, over 1.2 points per possession, 63% effective shooting, plus 33 net rating. Um, and I just thought Marvin had a nice game in general. All seven threes off the catch, uh, four deflections, four defensive box outs, and the team high, 11 contested field goals. But, wow. Spencer, you mentioned this on 
either it was either last episode or the one before that. But just when Kemba does get it going, you can just see it's like everyone gets six inches taller. You know, everyone yeah. gets bigger. The chests are out further. The team knows that you know, not like they can play with anybody. But if they're really, if th- that's when they're at their best. Obviously, is when he gets it going, and even in a game, a high turnover game for the Hornets, um, twenty. I mean, almost twenty percent turnover rate. Charlotte uh, still number two in the league in turnover rate, but even in a game like that, twelve three pointers, uh, twenty eight free throw attempts. Kemba got it going, and I mean, even on nights when they struggle at the rim, or if they have a bad turnover night, when they shoot like that, uh, you know, they can win a game, especially against a, a pretty crappy Detroit team. And I think, um, you know, Marvin's three-point shooting, especially early in the season, a lot of people were kind of up in arms about his slow start. And we talked about this, you know, several episodes ago. Like, he's not just out there to shoot threes, but the fact that he's now making threes uh, makes his, you know, his value a whole lot more. Uh, last 10 games for Marvin, I want you guys to guess. What, what do you think he's shooting from behind the arc? Last 10 games. Ooh. <sighs> Last ten, including Boston. Including Boston. Yeah. Including Boston. Yep. Um, uh, yeah, that's tough. I mean, I, I would. Uh, I'm going to say 30, 30, 33 and a half percent. Last ten games, I'm going like he's. I'm going like mid forties, probably forty four. He's, he's shooting forty six from behind the arc. Twenty three of wow. fifty in the last ten games. Yeah. Uh, that's tenth in the NBA in that span for players that have taken three. I'm sorry, five plus three-pointers per game. So he definitely is feeling it from behind the arc. Yeah, Boston was a completely different situation altogether. Uh, and, <laughs> and you mentioned this, Brian, yeah. talking about Kemba pull-up threes, but he had two late threes at the end of this game uh, o- over Reggie Bullock, who like reached both times uh, on those crossover plays. And it was yeah. interesting to see. like The first one, he kind of rejected the screen, uh, and, and Reggie kind of got uh, out of position. And the second one, he used the screen, but both of them were the pull-up three variety, uh, always keeping defenders on their toes with those those two late threes from Kemba. But um, anything else, positive, negative, about this uh, Detroit game? Uh, I was just going to say real quickly, Marvin Williams for the season, now up to 39% on catch-and-shoot threes, which is a great number. I mean, last year he was probably closer to 41%, so he's right there. And I think this is what, again, go back to October, November, when there was a lot of panicking around Marvin. And it was just, you know, hey, look, he's going to keep getting these shots. They're going to keep being wide open. He's going to get a handful of them per game off the catch. That's where, I mean, that's where over half of his shots come from. And, you know, look, he might not shoot 39. He's not going to shoot 46% on from deep, you know, like he has the last 10 games, dozen games. But him settling in in the high 30s, you know, maybe getting really close to that 40% benchmark off the catch. That's exactly where you want Marvin to be, especially it's not, I mean, he's been a really nice two-way player for the Hornets this season because he's brought it defensively, especially in some of these flexible lineups uh, for the Hornets with him at the five. Yeah. I I think that Marvin's improvement in shooting, it's, it's a great sign for the Hornets. I think that again, if they can just find a way to, mitigate his role offensively and really get him to the corner as much as humanly possible. I think it can only benefit this team, but that means somebody else has got to step up, you know, in terms of floating up to the, to the top of the wing or even the top of the key and in a lot of uh, situations where the ball needs to be swung. And right now, just too much of that responsibility continues to fall on Marvin. Yeah. Richie, that number is huge. I did not think it was anywhere close to that. (laughs) Maybe the Boston game is just too fresh in my mouth here, but, uh, (laughs) but but yeah, I mean, it's a great sign for Charlotte. The only other thing I wanted to bring up for this, from this game is 
defensively. Well, actually, two things. Another uh, did not play coach's decision for Malik Monk, uh-huh. um, which really continued in the Boston game to be you know, honest. If that game would have been close, right, like right. he was on his yeah. way to another one. I mean, uh, Borrego just continues to really shrink his lineup. Uh, and then just defensively, we saw so many di- different defensive looks yep. in this game from Borrego. We saw the 2-3 zone. We saw some matchup zone, which we've seen a little bit here and there from the Hornets this season. But I thought we saw a lot of it against Detroit, mm-hmm. um, you know, which is a little bit surprising because they want to go inside a lot. So I thought that was very interesting. And maybe that's just kind of the, the theme this game took on in, in a slower game. But those are the two other things that, that really stuck out to me. And, you know, I, I'll just kind of present this thought when it comes to the 2-3 zone and the matchup zone and, and these, um, you, you know, Borrego tinkering with how he's going to approach the whole defensive scheme, is that I think a lot of this, as he shrinks the lineup, a lot of this has to do with conserving energy, uh-huh. I think. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I mean, if yeah. he really does want to go out there and play nine guys top <laughs> in games that are competitive, mm-hmm. there's no way the Hornets are going to be able to play man defense for 48 minutes. So, you know, I think yeah. that's just something to keep in mind for fans that this team is going to do their best to be competitive. They want to make the playoffs. Borrego's been mandated to do whatever he's got to do to make that happen. And if he's going to play eight or nine guys, we're going to see a lot of zone defense. This is the Jim Beheim approach, right? <laughs> I'm going to play a microscopic rotation and, and play my my two three zone. And you know, Beheim and Mike D'Antoni in Houston, those guys see nothing wrong with a nine man rotation. They're like, in fact. Hey, you guys could trim two guys off this and just play, play, uh, play seven here. MKG was minus ten in twenty-three minutes in this game, but Richie, you highlighted him on, with a Twitter video. Thought his defense was really solid. Two steals in this game too, and just again another, another, another game where you just feel MKG. He had a nice reverse finish on the break too that Miles Bridges hit. Miles Bridges hit him for uh, with an assist, and again I thought Miles Bridges. You know, low usage game for him. Only you know four free throw attempts, only three field goals, four rebounds. But I thought he had a couple of other wild plays. That behind the back move on Calderon was absolutely nasty. I mean, I know. Look, Jose Calderon is far from an all world uh, defensive player. But uh, and you know, the three of us might be able to break down a defense if we've got uh, Calderon covering us. But that move was filthy, and his other bucket came on. They ran that little high-low action with he and Tony Parker. That's become a staple of the second-unit offense. This time, though, instead of Tony swinging it to Aaron and Gomez, who seems to be back at the number two center over over Frank, it's probably worth making a note of that. Right. But instead of swinging it to Willie for that, it looked more just like conventional high-low and like pick and roll. Pick, pardon me, it looked more like pick and roll into a high-low set as opposed to pick Swing. and roll pass over then go over the top but uh, a nice reverse finish from miles bridges on that play too it's funny because i i did do that little thread on mkg and how he's making an impact on the game if you look outside of the box score but i actually looked at the advanced box score in this game uh and if you were to look at it he actually had the lowest defensive rating or the highest yeah. defensive rating for the hornets but yeah you know sometimes those can be misleading i, I felt like he just yeah. he is playing freer on that end um, he is. Yeah, you know, he's able to switch quicker. He's able to communicate that quicker. Um, he's just all over the place. Like I said, he's always around the ball, creating second chance opportunities. And the new kind of um, wrinkle that we're seeing, you know, this season with him on the offensive side is setting those screens for Kemba. 
which you did not see at all last season, really. A lot of times it does force the switch, and Kemba's man now is going up against a, a bigger man, and he can break him down off that dribble. Kind of going back to your point, Spencer, about shortening the lineup, and, and BG, speak to this as well. Do you guys like that the fact that we're actually going down to nine men? It feels like we're playing playoff basketball, shortening the rotation. Sure, you know, you can kind of play that two, three zone to kind of um, limit the exhaustion or whatever. But for the long haul, do you guys agree with what JB's doing right now? Or do you feel like it's kind of all or nothing? You know, come January, these games are going to start to pick up and get more competitive, more road games. We need to pick up all the wins that we can. So what are your thoughts on the shortening of rotation? Do you like it, dislike it, or just kind of indifferent? Well, I, I mean, yeah, I think it's a combination of everything you just said. I think the Hornets, they absolutely want to be competitive. That you know, They want to rack up as many wins as they can, like you said, right now, because they have a lot of road games and, and a few West Coast trips coming up here in 2019. So, yes, to all those questions. Um, you know, But I, I think the other reason that the Hornets are – more than willing to do this this soon in the season right go to nine guys eight some nights is i do think there is a chip to fall in terms of some sort of trade or acquisition mm-hmm. i just i think this team's going to go all in this season and kim's contract year and blah 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 blah. we've talked about this a lot but um i, I do yes think they they feel the importance and there's a little bit of a panic here in the, I would say really, and we can talk the schedule a little bit later if you guys want, but here in these next four or five games, Hornets need to pick up three of these minimum. Minimum. Um, because when this West Coast trip hits, if they're at 500, hmm. I think that the conversation changes and, and in many for many different reasons. But, you know, the other thing I want to say about the defense is, and I do think that a lot of the reason they're going to the, a lot of these zones is, yes, to conserve energy as we've been talking about. But I also think that, the Hornets really struggle, and I think this is just a personnel problem, right? I think they guys yes. have guys that play hard on this team, but they don't have a lot of individual um, – how do I say this? They don't have a lot of individual talent defensively, and they also yeah. don't – for whatever reason, and I'm not sure I've ever really been able to figure this out, even in late in St- Steve Clifford's tenure, some of these guys really communicate poorly defensively. They – this team does a good job of jumping to the basketball. So so when it, there's dribble penetration, when the ball goes baseline, they're really good at what I would call dropping to the ball, right? But behind that, this team just constantly struggles to communicate of who's closing out to who. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you see how good the Celtics are at Xing out on the backside off yeah. pick-and-roll defense when they have to zone with two guarding three. You know, th- there's a lot of teams in this league are really good at that. The Hornets are really bad at that. And, and it's mm-hmm. something I'm going to point out in my column on Friday at Queen City Hoops is, and I can't quite understand why they're so bad at it because you can hear them talking on the floor. But it's like guys like Lamb doesn't know if he's going to the top or if he's clear into the corner on half. He's Marvin even, who's, been, who's the most tenured guy, really, it, it, that plays big minutes on this team. I'm not sure what it is, but they don't communicate and seem to really know where they're going, what their duty is when the ball gets closer to the paint and they're, they're having to zone off the backside because they're outnumbered. I, I'm not sure what it is. It doesn't really stick out, but it is a constant problem for Charlotte. And I think that's the other reason that they, they have to play some zone. <laughs> they, just have, they have to think less when they're out there because this is not a good thinking team defensively. Yeah, I think it's like it, this is such a, a, a reductive answer to that. And I think it's a, it's a great point. It, it does it, it at least – 
part of the equation is just MKG, I think, is the only natural-born defender on the on the roster. And yeah, I think Marvin's a vet and he's seen it all. And Cody's a pretty good, even though he doesn't, he's not a, a, a guy that blocks a lot of shots. He's a pretty good defensive center. But just their guys are either small like Kemba or Tony Parker or Malik Monk, or they're just not defensive-minded guys like Jeremy Lamb or they're uh, someone like Nick Batum, who's just continues to be comically bad at closeouts. There's some numbers that that are sort of interesting to look at in terms of the type of player that Nick Batum. Nick Batum is covered on average the highest usage guy for the Hornets every night. He deserves some credit for that. But you know, I, I still don't think I think away from the ball. I, I think he just becomes a, a bit of a wreck um, for the Hornets defensively. And as far as the shrinking of the rotation goes, like play nine guys is okay. Uh, you know, on, on nights when it pushes eight or in the second half it becomes seven. I, I get a little antsy with that because I know it's a long. It's just it's. I know there's more rest built in, and, and the guys take good care of themselves. And I don't think the coaching staff's trying to do anything dangerous to push these guys. But you know, it, it's it's December, <laughs> right? I, I know you know there's just a lot of basketball to be played. Yeah. I know we're putting a lot of eggs. I know the team is putting a lot of eggs in the basket for this season. But uh, I do think it does make me a little worried. But the biggest red flag with the shrinking the rotation is the guy that's always being cut is Malik Monk. Yes. And I'm not I'm not off Malik yet. You know, I mean, we, we talked a good bit about him on the last podcast, and he's certainly been a frequent topic of conversation for us. But just, you know, Spencer, you say this all the time. Some nights with him, you just don't know. And he's only 20. And I, I think he still has plenty of room for growth. I'm not writing him off at, at all yet. But just it is a little disappointing that you were maybe expecting bigger things from him and this season or a little more, you know, a little more consistency. And I always thought the offense would be able to offset any deficiencies on, on the, uh, the defensive end. But his shooting hasn't been good enough. And he's just it's just it's too easy on nights to just cut that guy out of the rotation, you know. And the only reason it sticks out is because it's Malik Monk, and he's the lottery pick from 18 months ago. So, I um, it, that that is like the biggest red flag to me is not just in terms of the team going forward over the next four or five months, but just like long term, what is what does it mean, and where are we with Malik Monk? But that's a whole other existential conversation that I don't know if we have time for right now. No, but yeah, I would agree. I think that that's the one player that you would might want to see extra minutes from, you know, maybe expand that rotation out to 10 players. But I think right now, if you had to choose the top nine players in the Charlotte Hornets rotation, I think we can all agree that JB's picking the right nine. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, in January, like you said, Brian, uh, who knows how long they can keep this up exhaustion wise. <laughs> so let's transition over to the next game because we were talking about Malik Monk. Um, he probably wasn't going to play this game uh, if it was close, uh, but because this game was filled with tons of garbage time, a game in which the Hornets never led, uh, Malik Monk and some of the other young players got to play in the fourth quarter. Uh, Charlotte struggled defensively uh, to keep up with the ball movement of the Celtics, and also during stretches offensively, the movement slowed down. Kyrie was feeling it, finished with 25 points, but that was only in 28 minutes. Uh, and again, Kemba played another good game, back-to-back games for him in, uh, in which he led the way. Uh, he had 21 points for the Hornets, and he actually scored Charlotte's first 18 
of 30 points uh, to begin the game for the uh, Hornets. He only scored three in the second half, Kimba that is. So uh, a lot of negatives in this game. And, and Spencer, you said that you thought that they kind of ran the 2-3 zone a lot in the Pistons game, but uh, per synergy, uh, they had 15 possessions that they ran the 2-3 matchup zone against Boston, which I feel like uh, is the most uh, of any any time during this season. I kinda, I've i been taking notes of kind of when they've been running this 2-3 zone. Uh, four games stick out to me. OKC, when we played against them, uh, I believe it was in OKC. Uh, Denver, at one point, we used the 2-3 zone, but those two zones were more of the regular you know, two, three variety, but these past two games have been more of the matchup variety, but a lot of struggles in this game. Boston was shooting the ball well from deep, especially early on. Um, and we did a, not a, not a too good job of containing Kyrie. I noted, uh, in early in the first quarter, just, we did not defend the pick and roll all too well with Kyrie. We were not on the same page on several possessions. We would go under, uh, and he'd pull up for a three or Kemba would fight over, but then Kemba, uh, and then Cody wasn't there to kind of stop him. So just too much room in general for Kyrie Irving. Uh, and he kind of, um, led the way for Boston early on and, uh, they never looked back. Uh, we never had a lead in this game, and it really just never felt close. And I, I watched this the day after, knowing the result, and it was kind of uh, painful to watch, knowing what I was getting <laughs> myself into. Any negatives that uh, you guys want to point out about this game? Because I'm sure there was a lot of them. Well, there were there were a lot. I mean, we're I don't think we can get into all of them. I mean, you know, Boston <laughs> Boston scores 130.6, you know, points per possession in this game. You know, that's. That's got to be the biggest number in Charlotte on the it year. It was worst, worst all season. I yes. mean, got to be. I mean, one point three points per possession is pathetic. But look, this is what Boston does, right? This is what a Brad Steven, Stevens team does in the half court. It's really hard to guard. They move the ball. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a lot of random cuts. You know, they'll back cut you. That they'll float up to a screen, head the other way. You know, I mean, and the ball never stops moving. Um, so it's really hard to guard. But really, my biggest frustration I think with Charlotte in this game is that you know what you're up against you're you're, and not only that you're up against a great team with a great coach you you know what they have personnel wise but a Boston team that was coming off of two disappointing losses in a row you knew you were going to get their best effort a very desperate team and the Hornets especially offensively looked so willing to just back down and willing to be stalemated into the half court Uh, you know this is where Jeremy Lamb or Nick Batum you know, or or even a Marvin Williams, right? They have to go to the defensive glass. They have to grab rebounds. They don't. They can't. You can't wait for Kemba to come get the basketball all the time against a team that already is hell bent on not letting you get into transition. You have to grab the ball and go. I mean, Jeremy Lamb is really the one who he he is good at this from time to time, but he'll go on these four or five game stretches. You know, that's an anecdotal number, whatever, where he just, he grabs rebounds, but he's not trying to force the issue. And this is, it's just, it doesn't really matter who Charlotte's playing, but this is something that when you play a team like Boston, it sticks out even more because it seems like the only guy who was willing to, to really put his foot on the gas and try to keep the Hornets in this game was Kemba Walker that wanted to be a little bit, aggressive offensively Jeremy Wood when he got the ball in the half court with 10 seconds left on the shot clock he'll get to his left hand he'll just drive into traffic and you know and throw up that floater because he's got a seven foot wingspan but I need Jeremy to grab the rebound and and lead the offense down the floor and try to make Mm -hmm. a play right you you need MKG to do that you need other so in the Hornets they they just don't they don't have that guy with a chip on his shoulder 
that will say, you know, we're going to come here and fight a little bit. And uh, that was really my frustration this game. I thought they laid down really quickly, and I thought, I thought they gave in. I mean, I, you know, I, I don't have a lot of numbers from this game to throw at you other than that pathetic 1.3 points per possession they let the, the, the Celtics have. But, again, they just go through these games where they look like they're not interested in fighting. I uh, agreed, and this game, it was a total crap show for the the Hornets. Like to be to be truthful, and I think you can make a case that it was the worst game they played all season. And again, against a, a good team, against a, what I think is a really good team, and I don't think Boston's win loss record is in, is uh, indicative of how good they are as a team or how well coached they are. But the Hornets, only 0.94 points per possession. That's one of their worst three games all season. They allow 1.31 points per possession. That is the worst defensive performance uh, in non-garbage time minutes that Charlotte's had all season, according to Cleaning the Glass. In the first three quarters of this game, Boston, 29 three-point attempts. They They hit 11 of them. 21 free throw attempts. They hit 17. Kyrie, 25 points on 12 field goal attempts he goes 9 to 12 shooting i mean he was amazing horford Kyrie, like richie said earlier their two-man game got it going and then he just hit some wild shots i mean do you guys remember the corner three he hit near side like with mkg guarding yeah. that should be a decent i mean those the old yeah. old high school buddies and he sort of like didn't even like step back he just sort of like levitated backwards and through and like didn't even shoot it mostly he just like threw it and it just drained it from the corner um Side note on Kyrie, after watching him play in this game and in a fair amount this season and then watching his him just rip the Sixers up on Christmas, like, again, side note on Kyrie here, but just this has to be what he imagined when he wanted out of Cleveland. This is it. Like, prestige franchise, marquee games, offense runs through me. Like, I'm, I'm the one that can get to anywhere I want on the court. I'm at the height of my powers. And uh, I mean, he's you know over 23 points per game this season, 30% usage, 41% on threes. Like, you know, free throws down a little bit this year, but man, I mean, he's a special, special, special offensive talent. And uh, it's been fun to watch him, watch him cook. But yeah, the Hornets, a just total disaster in the half court this game. Mm. Uh, less than here. Where's the number here? Point yeah, seven. Well, yeah, about point yeah. seven two points per possession. I mean, it's yeah, pathetic, it's, pathetic, yeah. and like. They did some good stuff in transition, but like Spencer was sort of getting at, they couldn't even get in transition. Um, less than 13% of their possessions this game come in transit, come in transition. You want to know why? The offensive rebounds that we gave up. You yeah. Know, we're yeah. not getting those stops. There was a, um, a non-garbage time, 40.6 offensive rebounding percentage. That's, that's ridiculous. Yeah, there was a sequence where I think the Celtics got – it was either four or five straight offensive rebounds. Um, or I, Excuse me. I don't think they were all offensive rebounds, but there were about four or five different 50-50 balls. Yes, I want yes. to say two. Yep. I want to say two of them were offensive rebound opportunities. The other two were – you know, just got – it was a sloppy sequence. And, yep. and look, here, look, this is another bad sign of a team that you can't quite figure out is when they – and I'd have to drill deeper to see – I don't even know if that's a stat, BG, 50-50 balls. If it's not, it should be. But yeah. this team feels like they do not get too many um, at all. And and that sequence, like you drill down to like a, a microcosm example, I mean, that was uh, that was like take wind out of the sails yeah. in that game. But also it's, it's, it's a, just a little bit of a storyline with this team right now in general. Yeah, so I, I'm not – like this is not ex- quite exactly 50-50 balls, but I bet it's close – 
the NBA tracks loose balls recovered. Bo- there were Boston got 13 in this game to seven from the Hornets. The Hornets had only one loose ball recovery on offense. So, and the Celtics had seven defensive loose ball recovered, six offensive. So, yeah, this was not. Look, you can always count on MKG because, like, that's his. He, the dude is just always around the ball because he plays hard and he's just got. He knows that's where his value is. And obviously, Kemba. I mean, he empties the bucket every night too. It feels like, but you know, I, I think some of the other guys that are taking up a lot of minutes in the rotation, like they're just not dudes that you can. That yeah, you know, some nights they're just going to struggle beating the opponent to the ball. Yeah. And, I, and the offensive rebounds kind of sticks out with me too besides the you know the fact that in offense we kind of stagnate a little bit and I know this seems like a simple thing to say and I think this could apply to a lot of teams but I feel the Hornets do a good job if they can you know limit a team to one stop and get out in transition. I don't think the Hornets get out in transition too often, uh, but you can definitely feel the momentum building uh, with this team when they get that one stop and, and they push it out in transition. But that was really just non-existent in this game because we weren't getting those defensive rebounds. We weren't getting those 50-50 balls. We weren't getting those turnovers. So, you know, I think that plays a role, but I think that, you know, Boston was probably going to win this game regardless if we didn't give up those offensive rebounds. Anything else on this game? Oh, I guess, uh, you know, in garbage time, we got a little bit of Monk playing, Hernan Gomez minutes. I know that Monk is coming off a a DMPCD. He had 13 points in the fourth quarter, so I thought that was, uh, you know, a good job of him. But, again, I don't know how much you guys take from from garbage time minutes from players. Very, very little. The Hornets actually actually outplayed Boston uh, considerably in in the final 12 minutes of this game. Willie Hernan Gomez had had some nice buckets late in the game, and he finished with 19 points on 11 field goal attempts. Good, uh, good for him. But yeah, I mean, it's funny with Malik. It's like you know he's coming off a DNPCD, and he hadn't been playing a ton recently. He gets 15 minutes, 12 of them in garbage time. He, he doesn't get cheated. I mean, Malik goes in there, three free throw attempts, eight field goal attempts. Like <laughs> he's going to use possessions and get shots up when he's in there. That's for sure. How odd was it, though, that, like, you know, all these players were playing, but Frank didn't play? Yeah, well, I, I don't know. I guess Borrego listened to us when we talked about you. It's really time to, to shrink <laughs> yeah. that backup center rotation because he has gone with Willie here the last few games. I thought, Willie, I thought Willie's been fine the last few yeah, games. he's I, been good. He, he struggles defensively. I mean, that, this is just going to be a constant with uh, with the bench in general, with the Hornets, but especially with the, the backup centers that, you know, are eligible to get playing time. But yeah. offensively, he's good because he gives them an option. You know, when the offense starts to break down, somebody throw it into. And look, he, he's got incredible footwork. Willie's an underrated offensive player, and I thought he's been fine the last few games. I don't take much from what Monk came in and did. Um, you know, he, he he looked like how he usually looks, but he he saw some standstill threes go in, which which he hasn't a lot this season and when he sees those shots go in we've seen how quickly he can get it going right it's again microwave score like he just he sees one go in and he gets a little confidence and all of a sudden he's playing so much harder than he does on average it's kind of guy he is but uh yeah other than that i mean there's just not a whole lot else to uh to really dig into from this game i don't think no. no. And then defensively i, I kind of pointed this out on twitter but if you guys want to check my twitter account um if you still have a Twitter account, BG, but um, <laughs> that's a different story no, for a different day. No comment on that yeah. for right now. 
But Monk had this defensive possession where he was guarding Jalen Brown on the perimeter, and uh, he was off ball at the time, so he's kind of dropping to the level of the ball. And I know exactly. Was, what. <laughs> yeah, and then yeah. it was swung back to Brown, and uh, Monk was closing out on him, and he had no idea where Brown was. Like he was going to the last spot that he saw Brown, uh, but that was a good like five, seven feet away from where actually he was. And Brown yeah. catches the ball uh, in stride. Uh, Monk is nowhere to be uh, to be found, uh, and he goes up for uh, an easy layup. So yeah, it yeah, it's almost. I know exactly what you're talking about because I was trying to rewatch a little bit of the second half before we jumped on, and um, I mean Brown like already knew like the ball was swung to him from. Uh, you probably said it a second ago from the yep. baseline somewhere. Monk is you know spinning in circles, no idea where he is, <laughs> and and the the ball gets to Brown, and like Brown catches it, and he. It's not even like a quick burst by Monk, but he already knew what he wanted to do. He just kind of like moonwalked into the lane. And by the time Monk like had any clue where he was, you know, he's at the rim. Um, and the other defensive play I was going to bring up was <laughs> Bridges was out there with, I think, which was pretty much the starters. I, I think MKG was in there too. So Bridges can play small forward positionally on defense. But, and, and this is just what I was talking about earlier the defensive struggles were sometimes. I'm just I'm not sure who to pin the blame on. Mm-hmm. So uh, who, whoever Miles was guarding, I think it was Tatum, comes off a little either a dribble handoff or he might have just had the ball a ball screen. So Cody's guy sets it and Cody like blitzes the screen, but then he stays up on Tatum without ever really communicating anything backside. So then Miles is now chasing, you know, Tice or whoever was rolling down the rim, rolling down to the rim that Cody was guarding. MKG had stepped in to stop the roll. Miles gets back there. MKG doesn't know if he's supposed to filter back out to the corner. And then somebody rotates, rotates to the top, which who Miles should be running at. And then you just hear Kimba yell, Miles, get out. But yeah. when yeah. you go, go all the way back to the beginning, it's like, wait a minute. Why did Cody switch there? Yeah, like he, I, know, he's, he's, I know exactly what play you're talking about. It's just too. that kind of stuff that I'm like, I, I just can't pin this anywhere because it's all yeah. so random. It's mm-hmm. like there's no – plan it's just like can we survive for 20 seconds i i do think i do think the celtics are like the worst team to to or not the worst team but they're certainly one of the toughest teams to like when your defense functions like that and you got young guys like monk and bridges that can get lost off the ball too the celtics will just rip you in short like they just that offense with all those loopy actions and back cuts and and screens and re-screens and Kyrie doing wizard things like it's just they'll They'll make oh, you. No. They'll make. They'll make you look real bad if you don't know your assignment or what you're supposed to be doing at all times. No doubt about it. I mean, there's no question about it. And it's just, you know, my point is, I don't. You know, that's when I'd like to go, like Miles. What are you doing? But that's yeah. not really on Miles. Yeah. Because I, I know. I watched that play eight times. I can't tell anywhere where Cody gave him instructions or yelled switch or pointed something. You know, and then and that's the one mistake. And like you said, it's a great point. Boston's going to make you look stupid every time. But, you know, 25 teams in this league on that kind of yeah. random defensive sure. coverage where it doesn't look like anybody on defense actually knows what's going on is going to beat that. And that's where the Hornets, they, they just got to clean it up. And it seems like it can be as simple as tightening in these responsibilities player to player, right? Like, we're in a matchup yeah. zone. This is what we're doing. We're in, we're in a man-to-man. This is what we're doing. If you want to drop every time, that's fine. You know, that drove me crazy last year, but that's because it was Dwight. <laughs> if you're going to hedge, then hedge and, and get your tail back into the lane. And it's just – it's a lot of randomness right now that 
I, I just I can't. It's just hard to put your finger on really what is going on out there defensively. Uh, I I really recommend people. I've just pulled up the video for this. Go watch this Jalen Brown bucket. That's with like seven and a half minutes left in the fourth quarter that Richie and Spencer were just referring to. It's just it's simple like handoff pick and roll with Tice and Gordon Hayward. Tice rolls. Malik doesn't bump him, but he like drops down to looks like he's gonna bump Tice. And then Hayward rips the whips the pass right by him, and this closeout is just yeah, like, yep, it's bad. <laughs> I mean, he has no clue where no Jalen Brown is. So when he runs to close out on him, there's just literally no one to close out on. It's just oh boy, he takes um, one step and he's like, oh, he's not here anymore. Just, hey, between Malik Monk and uh, Miles Bridges, oh, those boy. guys are bad. I mean, that's a it's a clinical bad off the ball defense tape just go yeah. and pay attention to that next time you get a chance it's wow. not good yeah. young players yep. not time to give up but it ain't good <laughs> all right guys it's about time that we wrap this episode uh by the time you're listening to this uh hopefully you guys can listen to this prior to the brooklyn game tonight we actually play brooklyn in back-to-back games one on wednesday tonight and then one on friday at home and then we have a back-to-back friday saturday against washington and then Orlando is the last game of the uh, 2018 calendar uh, schedule. So uh, those are four games, Brooklyn, Brooklyn, Washington, Orlando. Golly, if we can win three of those, like that would be great for our standing because once we get to January, a lot of road games. But, uh, yeah, it's it's. I don't even look at the January schedule. Just taking it a game at a time right now. So thanks again for tuning in to Episode 85. Barring something major, uh, we will be taking next week off. So everyone, enjoy your New Year's, and I'm sure the next time that we do meet, uh, the Hornets will still be at 500. Uh, so not much will change between now and then. So uh, for Brian, for Spencer, I am Richie. Go Hornets. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.